the ghost writer. She was the, she was the director, and she literally did everything. We just did what we were told. And, uh, and so, yeah, a big thanks to her for putting that together. We had a ton of fun with that. So also, of course, again, thanks to everybody who served with Awana. I know that's a, that is a labor of love. That's a, that's a whole lot of work. And so we certainly appreciate you guys for all of that work. And, and while we're on the topic, thank you so much to everybody, everything that went into camp. Um, man, that's, that's a lot of hands on deck, too. That's a lot of time off work, serving, and all of those things, and I, I think our, our kids are going to be all the better for all of those things. So your investment is definitely appreciated, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for you guys. So let's, uh, we're, we're going to, we are going to have a time of preaching. You, di- you didn't get off the hook there, and so before we do that, though, let, let's pray. Father, we, we love you, and, and we're thankful for this Father's Day. I'm thankful for the earthly fathers that are in this room, and we're mostly thankful for the heavenly Father, God, in, in you. And God, you have been um, a father to us in the highs and in the lows, and God, you have been more gracious to us than we deserve, and we want to celebrate you today as we do every day. And we love you, Lord. I pray, God, that your word would go forth, that it, your name would be glorified, that hearts would be soft to hear the truths of your word. And we love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you know, when, when you're going verse by verse through a, through a book of the Bible, there can be very long stretches of time that pass without really addressing anything that pertains to the family on a Sunday morning, you know? It, it, it can easily, right, it can easily take a year or more to get through a book of the Bible, and so if that particular book of the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about the family dynamic, then you probably aren't going to hear a whole lot about the family dynamic. And so on a day like today, as we celebrate Father's Day, I did, I wanted, did want to branch out from the book of 1 Thessalonians and just kind of use this as an opportunity to talk about fathers and the family. And, and, and I'd like for us to do that out of the book of Ephesians. Um, it, we, we find some specific instructions in the book of Ephesians regarding fathers and the family, specifically in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to study those four verses, almost like we would four verses of, of First Thessalonians, and we're and we're just going to study those verse by verse and see what the Lord has for us. And, and here's what it says. Let's read these verses together as we begin. Ephesians six one says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise." that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so first, as we begin studying these verses together this morning, what we need to see is, is the responsibilities of children to their parents. Number one, the responsibilities of children to their parents. That, that's exactly how Ephesians 6 begins, with, with laying out how the children are to relate to their parents. You see, there's an authority structure that God is laying out here for us, and, and it's one that most of us are very familiar with, and it's that children 
are to obey. That's exactly what verse 1 says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Something we need to understand about God is, is he's a God of order, and he's always got an authority structure that's in place. We, we talked about the order and authority structure that God designed us to have inside of the church two weeks ago when I last preached. And what we're seeing from Ephesians 6 is, is that we're seeing part of the order and authority structure that God has inside of the home. There's a very definitive order and authority structure that God has for the family. And if everyone in the family is doing what they've been called to do, then that family will be a family that lives in harmony where things are functioning the way that God designed it to function. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, it kind of streamlines for us the order and the authority structure that leads to harmony in the home. He, this, is how, this is how it goes. You can see it from the verses on the screen. Here's, the, here's, here's how it goes in the family. The wife submits to her husband as unto Christ and reverences him. The husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And the children obey their parents in the Lord and in all things. That's how God, the inventor of the family, designed the family to function. That's the order and the authority structure that comes from God. And listen, that order and that authority structure that I just gave you is not going to be information you receive about how a family is to function from your local psychologist and from your best-selling authors. You see, the Bible teaches us that there's man's wisdom or the, or the wisdom of this world, and then there's God's wisdom. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians 3.19 says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. In other words, God says the wisdom that mankind comes up with is a bunch of nonsense as far as I'm concerned. And the later in the night that it gets y'all, the more nonsense is going on out there. And we live in a world where the exact opposite of the authority and structure for how God designed the family to function is actually the norm. It's the exact opposite of what we just saw from Colossians chapter 3. Instead of husbands loving their wife as Christ loved the church, the husbands would rather golf than spend, than spend time with their wives. Instead of wives submitting to their husbands as unto the Lord, the wives wear the pants in the family. Instead of children obeying their parents, disobedience from children is expected and accepted. Is that the world we live in or what? And so, as you can imagine, the family dynamic in the world is a mess. And the psychologists and the best-selling authors are doing nothing to address the real issues that are at play because they're using man's wisdom to try to solve the problems instead of God's wisdom. And we have to understand, God designed the family, and God designed the family to function in a certain way. And we've gotten further and further away from that, and that's why the family dynamic in the world is so dysfunctional. And one of the obvious problems that the family is facing in modern times is that the children don't obey their parents. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 already told us that disobedience to parents would be a sign of the last days. So it should come as no surprise that this is an issue that we're dealing with right now. And as you can imagine, my mic is on, right? Okay, 
It was just a little quieter than usual, so just, I was just making sure. That's fine. And, and, and as you can imagine, when, when children don't obey their parents, then the family doesn't function according to the way that God, the inventor of the family, designed it to function, and it leads to dysfunction. Our verse we're studying this morning in Ephesians 6.1 goes on to say, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. The reason it's right is because it's what God commanded, and he commanded it because that's how he designed it to function. And so it's according to nature that children obey their parents. According to Colossians 3.20, it says, Children obeying their parents is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Children have been called by God to obey their parents because it pleases the Lord. Despite their youth, God has given children a direct command, and he expects them to follow it. The next responsibility of children to their parents that we see in Ephesians 6 is that they're to honor them. Letter B, to honor. Parents are to be honored. As we continue studying Ephesians 6, we see that according to Ephesians 6, 2, we're to honor our father and mother. So children are to obey their parents, but they're also to honor them or to revere them or respect them. But this commandment, interestingly enough, it, it, it's not actually associated with any particular age. When Ephesians 6, 1 says, children, obey your parents, there is clearly an age cut off somewhere. At some point, you're not a child anymore. Our, our country believes that that age is 18. The Bible would seem to show it at 20. But we're, we're, but we're not trying to get into that this morning. But clearly there is a cutoff somewhere where you're no longer a child and the dynamic with your parents changes. But the command to honor your parents isn't just directed to those that are considered children, though it certainly includes children. It's a command for all ages. This applies to you no matter how old you are. You're to honor your parents. And in this command, it, it should sound familiar to everyone because it's one of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, Moses is giving the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel that, that of course, he received from God. And the fifth commandment is, honor your father and mother. Not just younger children or teenagers, all ages. But though this is a widely recognized as an Old Testament command to the nation of Israel, it's also given to the body of Christ as present truth for us. In fact, all of the Ten Commandments are present New Testament truths for us other than observing the Sabbath day. And, and, and all the way back in the book of Exodus, God is laying out this command and he's, he's showing the incredible importance of parents receiving honor. And if, it makes it in, and if making it into the Ten Commandments didn't stress its importance enough, we find that there are promises associated with this commandment from God. Number two, the promises to children from God. There are actually promises associated with this. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2 says. Again, the second half of, of the verse it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And, and so again, it, it's as, as if making it to the Ten Commandments isn't a big enough deal, and it didn't show us the importance of this command enough, 
God ups the ante again, and he makes it the first commandment with a promise associated to it, with it. It's the fifth commandment, but it's the first one with promise. And here's the promise that God gave Moses when he gave him the Ten Commandments. Look at Exodus 20, verse 12 again. Here it is. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So the promise that goes along with the commandment to honor your father and mother is to live a long life in the promised land, or two. We could say to live a long, good life. And it actually, interestingly enough, it, it applies to us the same way because God gives us the same command and he gives us the same promise. In the New Testament passage we're studying in Ephesians 6, it says the same thing. We just looked at verse 2, but the next verse in Ephesians 6, 3, it gives us the same promise when it says that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. So God says the same thing to us in the New Testament as he did to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother, and you'll live a long, good life. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that dies young means that they didn't honor their parents. does mean, as a general principle, though, honor your par honoring your parents puts you on the path to a long, good life. Now, not every promise in the Old Testament has a direct application to us like this one does, right? Oftentimes, you guys are familiar with this, oftentimes we apply some of these physical promises that are given to the nation of Israel, oftentimes we apply those to us spiritually. The application that we're applying from that is spiritual. So, so of course, all the Old Testament has an application to us, but oftentimes it applies spiritually instead of physically, but in this case, we're actually also given access to physically live a long, good life by honoring our father and our mother. God offers those things to us living in the New Testament economy. And of course, he gives us access to plenty of spiritual blessings. But in this case, God throws us into the mix with access to physical blessing as well. And God essentially says, honor your father and mother and you're going to find yourself on a path to a long, good life. But here's the thing. If a child doesn't honor their parents, there are also some negative promises that God makes to children as well. In fact, in the Old Testament, in, in the same way they'd have a long, good life if they honored their parents, the exact opposite was true too. Partly because dishonoring or, or cursing their parents was a capital crime. That's how serious God takes it. In Exodus 21, 17, it says, He that curseth his father or mother shall surely be put to death. So if you honor your parents, you'll have long life. If you curse your parents, you'll have short life. <laughs> now, obviously, that's not what is required of us now. It is not a capital offense. But there are still major consequences to dishonoring and cursing our parents because of the application to us in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 20, which puts it like this. Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Proverbs 30 and verse 17 says, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother the ravens of the valley shall pick it out 
and the young eagles shout, eat it. Listen, God doesn't play around when we disobey his command to honor our parents. These are no small commands, man. These things pack a punch. And and though this command isn't just limited to to younger children and teenagers, it does include them. So, So our children then, our children have a command from God to obey us as their parents and to honor us as their parents. And there are, there are responsibilities that carry great weight because of the positive and negative promises that come with whether or not those commands are obeyed or disobeyed. But here's what makes it extremely challenging. Children are commanded by God to obey and honor their parents, but Proverbs 22:15 teaches us that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Foolishness is so ingrained in a child and it comes so natural to a child because it's like foolishness is literally knit into their hearts. Left to their own devices, children will choose foolishness or folly. They will naturally choose to make the wrong decisions and yet God has commanded the children to make the right decisions by obeying and honoring their parents. Naturally, they won't obey and honor their parents. I'm not sure if you guys have figured that out yet or not. (laughs) So then let me ask you, who is it that begins wearing the responsibility to ensure that our children obey what God has commanded them? It's the parents. I get that children are autonomous human beings that have to make choices. But part of what a parent's responsibility is to do is to make sure that their children are holding up their end of the bargain with the responsibilities that they've been called to do. A parent is responsible to make sure our children are living up to what they're responsible to do. And as parents, we're responsible to make sure that our children obey and honor us like God has commanded them to do. So if our children are responsible before God to obey and honor us, and and as we read earlier and are about to dig into more, and we're responsible before God to raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then we're responsible to make sure our kids obey and honor us. Do you see how that works? And so with that said, let's look at this in more detail. Number three, the responsibilities of fathers to children. The responsibility of fathers to children. Children have been commanded to obey and honor their parents by God. And so when we as parents allow disobedience and disrespect in our homes... We're not only enabling them to sin against us, we're enabling them to sin against God. We're contributing towards our own children disobeying God. These are are kids. So it isn't simply just that they're doing wrong and they need to make better choices. Doggone it, that six-year-old needs to obey the Bible. No, if we allow it to go unchecked, we're contributing to it. Because here's what we're to do according to our passage in Ephesians 6, 4, which says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but what? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
You see, there's a particular way that we've been called by God to, to bring them up. There's a particular way we're to train them into maturity, and we're responsible before God to do that. And we see here that first we're, responsi we're responsible, letter A, to nurture. We're responsible to nurture. Fathers are responsible to nurture their children. And, and I know we typically think of nurturing as, as encouraging or, or helping someone towards growth. And that's true with the way the Bible uses it too. But the way the Bible uses it is to encourage and help someone towards growth through discipline. This, this is actually the only place in the Bible where the word nurture comes up, but our, our King James translator most often translate this word as chastise or chastisement. So fathers are to, to nurture their children or to encourage them towards growth with discipline and punishment. That's what, that's, what the verse, that's what the verse is saying. And I know no one wants to hear that anymore. And I know no one wants to do that anymore. And I know no secular books would dare advise that, and Christian books for that matter. And I get it. It's not an enjoyable experience for anyone involved. But I'm just here to tell you, it is God's design, though. And when you start messing with how God designed the family to function and how children are to behave towards their parents and how parents are to behave towards their children, then your family's going to get out of whack. It won't function properly. It will be dysfunctional. And you say, well, what exactly does God mean by chastisement or punishment or correction or discipline? Well, there, there are quite a few places that teach us. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. The rod and reproof are designed by the Creator God to give children wisdom as opposed to letting them do whatever they want without discipline, which will lead to the mamas being ashamed. And yes, the rod and reproof is what we would traditionally or typically call in modern times spanking with a paddle. This is biblical discipline. And listen, of course, I'm not talking about hauling off and taking this too far. And no, no, I'm talking about biblically disciplining in love. You're not doing it fuming mad to get anger out. No, you're doing it under control and in love. Proverbs 22:15 that we saw a few minutes ago, it, 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 it talks about foolishness being bound in the heart of a child. It says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But how can we fix that? But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. See, that rod of correction is designed to drive that foolishness that's bound and knit in a child's heart. It's designed to drive all that foolishness far from our children. And I know, and I've heard the argument before that the new Christian parents are bringing to the table. Well, the rod in those passages in Proverbs, it's, it's figurative. 
It, it just means that you kind of steer them in the right direction and that you tell them what to do and guide them. You don't actually use a rod on their rear end. Okay. What about... <laughs> what about... What about Proverbs 23, 13? Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Is that one figurative? You see, the rod isn't figurative in this verse, and neither is hell. The idea is correcting your child by spanking them will deliver them from the path that's going to lead them straight to hell. Proverbs 19.18 says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. And listen, this is part of why I don't like there to be too much time that passes without us addressing these kind of issues. This verse tells us to chasten our kids while there's still hope. You see, there are certain ages where there's still hope. But at some point, you've missed your window. At some point, you've missed the window to instill that discipline in their lives. You can't spank them forever. My dad used to say it like this. Someone has to get spankings. You either spank your kids when they're younger, or they, they'll spank you around the age of 16. You choose which one it's going to be. You choose who it's going to be, and you say, well, I just love my kids too much to do that. But do you realize the Bible teaches us that the exact opposite of that is true? Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11 it teaches us, it says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. The father that chastens and corrects his son is actually proving that he loves him. It's the same reason God chastens and corrects us, because he loves us and he wants to keep us from a destructive path. If you're saying you love your kids too much to biblically discipline them, please understand the Bible says you prove that you love your kids by how you discipline them. In fact, have you ever seen what Proverbs 13, 24 says? It says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. So, so if you don't biblically discipline because you love your kids too much god says no i see it the opposite way god says to withhold that discipline expresses hate towards them but to biblically discipline them expresses love towards them and it says he that loveth him chasteneth him be times be times means while it's still early in other words while there's still time and it's not too late and listen, I, I get the fact that there are probably people in this room that have already raised kids and either weren't saved or didn't understand these biblical truths. I get the fact that you may not have put these truths into practice, and my goal surely isn't to guilt trip you on that now. 
My goal is to make sure that the slew of kids that are currently being raised in this church get these truths before too much time passes while there's still hope. Because you're not going to hear these things out there in the world. The most they'll give you is a creative new age form of discipline, but it won't be biblical. And listen, it's the same type of stuff that's been going on for a while now. These new age forms of discipline to the exclusion of biblical discipline have been getting progressively more popular year after year after year. And while the world is coming up with studies that claim to reflect that there are no positives to biblical discipline and there can actually be negative ramifications, did you know that? I'd like to ask you, look around at society. How is it working out for them so far? Seriously, it, at some point along the way, it's imperative that we dig in and decide whether or not we can trust all of God's word or if we're going to pick and choose the parts that we like. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. Do you believe that the one who created and designed the family is the one that inspired the Bible to be written or not? And are you willing to go with God wherever he goes and apply what God's wisdom says or are you going to go with the world and apply what the world's wisdom says? And there's no doubt that in the short term, biblical discipline stinks. It does. It's not fun. It's hard. It breaks your heart. But in the long term, <laughs> it's worth it. That's why Hebrews 12:11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. In other words, it's no fun. But what is it? It's grievous. It's very grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Chastening is absolutely not fun, not even a little bit in the short term, but afterwards in the long term, it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that receive the chastening. But won't it make them violent? No, it will yield what kind of fruit? Peaceable fruit. Earlier in this same chapter, in verse 5 of chapter 12, I want you to listen to what it says. It says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. This whole thing of biblical discipline, spanking, chastening, is to be done in love and because of love. That's why and how God chastens and scourges us. Verse 7. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. God's saying, if you're not chastising your kids, then it's as if your kids are being raised without a father. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. 
Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Verse 9, it says that they had earthly fathers that corrected them and they gave them reverence. You see, this command to children to obey and honor their parents is connected to the correction that they receive. Verse 9 says they received the correction from their father, and what happened? And they reverenced their father. In other words, they received correction from their father, and they obeyed and honored him. But if you don't correct him, and you don't biblically discipline him, look out. You may get away with it for a season, but in the long haul, they're not going to obey you or honor you like God called them to do. And missing the boat on that is going to lead to a whole slew of other issues within the family. Listen, we're to discipline, chastise, or nurture, but we do it like God does it to us. And like verse 6 here describes to us, we chasten in love and because of love. And God is telling us fathers, I've given you the name Father, and I didn't give you that name arbitrarily. I didn't do it on accident. No, I've given you the name Father to share with me because until your kids get older and can understand who I am through the eyes of faith, they're understanding who I am as their heavenly Father through who you are as their earthly Father. And so we earthly fathers are to exemplify the Heavenly Father, and we're to, we're to point our children to the Heavenly Father. And, and so we discipline them like the Heavenly Father disciplines, which is in love and not anger, and because of love, not, not hate or disdain. That, and I know that, that that's, that's some hard truths to swallow in the, in the day and age that we're living in, y'all. But, but do you have ears to hear that this morning? Not only are we to nurture our children or encourage them to grow through discipline, we're to admonish them, letter B, to admonish them. That's what Ephesians 6, 4 says. It tells fathers to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so biblically, to admonish is to encourage towards righteousness with words and instruction. So we saw fathers are to, to nurture their children, and nurturing is to encourage towards righteousness with discipline and punishment. And now we see that fathers are to admonish their children, which is to encourage them towards righteousness with words and instruction. And, and we see an example of this in the life of David. Though David was far from a perfect father, we, we do see this example in his life with the way he dealt with Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9, here's what David said. And thou, Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So David says to Solomon, God has a specific purpose and task for you to accomplish. Be strong and do it. It doesn't get much more simple than that. Be strong and do it, son. Oh, but the impact that that would have to get that admonition from your father is hard to even quantify. 
David goes on to give Solomon the pattern or the, or the blueprint for how the temple was to be built. And then a few verses down in verse 20, David says to him again, he says, And David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord thy God, even my God, will be there with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Listen, David was admonishing Solomon with words and instruction, and he was charging him and encouraging him. God says that's what a father is supposed to be doing with their children. In Psalm 78, starting in verse 2, here's what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That's what this thing is supposed to look like, y'all. Fathers being intentional and proactive to give their children the truth about God's Word and all He's done for us. And for those children to pass those same truths down to their children, to the grandchildren. But you see, instead of being intentional and proactive to do that, your average Christian father is lazy and lethargic, not, not intentional and proactive. They go along to get along. They're complacent. They don't want to lead. They don't want to be intentional and proactive with their kids because in the short term, it's harder. It isn't in the long term, but it's harder in the short term. And a lot of fathers are, are providing for their families which is great. We've been called to do that. But providing for our families isn't all we've been called to do. Listen, God gave us men more responsibilities than just providing for our families. That's great. You have provided a nice home to your kids and they have room to play. My goodness, no one even shares a bathroom. That's great. But are you bringing them up and raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you lovingly discipline and nurture? Do you instruct and admonish with your words intentionally? Do you lead your family spiritually? Or do you just pay the bills? We better figure out a way to have the time and have the desire to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our children are responsible to God to obey and honor us and we're responsible before God to make sure that happens as we raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then in this same verse we're studying, verse 4 of Ephesians 6, God gives fathers a warning. I want us to be sure to see the warning that God gives us this morning. Number four, the warning to fathers from God. The warning to fathers from God. Remember, here, here's what the beginning of verse 4 of Ephesians 6 says. And ye fathers, provoke not your children 
to wrath. Have you ever thought about why that verse is directed to fathers? Because raising our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is actually specifically addressed to fathers as well. Does anybody think that God is excluding the mothers who have been tasked to be the keepers of the home? Anybody think God doesn't want them contributing to raising the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Of course God wants them to, but God addresses this to the fathers because they're the ones that are supposed to be leading the household. And so following the same train of thought, when God tells fathers to not provoke their children to wrath, does anybody think God wants the mothers to provoke the children to wrath? Of course not. But God makes a special point to call out the fathers because God is showing us fathers are more susceptible to provoking their children to wrath. And part of the reason is because of the power that God gave to the fathers that Corey was talking about earlier. Outside of the Spirit of God, a father's influence on their children is the most powerful force on this planet. And that's God's design for it to be that way. God gave earthly fathers that power so we'd use it for good, so we'd use it to exemplify the Heavenly Father and point our kids to the Heavenly Father. The problem is, most fathers blow it so bad that instead of using their power for that, they use their power, oftentimes unknowingly, to provoke their children to wrath. And there's not just one way this fleshes itself out. There are multiple ways a father can use the God-given power that they have to provoke their children to wrath. On one hand, you've got the father that's, that's absent Right? He's disconnected from what the son or daughter is doing. He doesn't biblically discipline because he'd just rather not be bothered with it. And it's received by the kids that dad doesn't care. And in some cases, he may not. But you have that extreme. And what you find is that's provoking them to wrath. You see, they're getting outside of God's design for the home and not fulfilling their God-given function and responsibilities to their kids. And dysfunction is the result, and the kids are provoked to wrath. They aren't designed to handle it when their daddy doesn't seem to care. And then on the other hand, you have the father that just can't be pleased. Nothing's ever good enough. Everything is an annoyance. He never can find anything encouraging to say. He disciplines out of anger and not love. And what he does is, is he uses the, the father power God gave him, and instead of using it to exemplify God and point his kids to God, he uses it in a way that ultimately provokes them to wrath because he doesn't bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the result of that will always be dysfunction in the home. And listen, I know navigating fatherhood is challenging and exhausting. Each kid is different, and there are so many different situations throughout the course of just one day that you're trying to navigate how best to handle it. But here's the lens I think we fathers have to view all of these different situations through and view our role and responsibilities through. If God shared the name Father with us so that we'd exemplify and point our kids to God, 
then we should just filter our, our behavior through something like this. Has our Heavenly Father been abundantly patient with us? Then we should be patient with our kids. Has our Heavenly Father given us more forgiveness than we deserve? Then we should forgive our kids. Is our Heavenly Father in any way accepting of sin, or does He lovingly discipline all His children? Then we should lovingly discipline all of our children. Does our Heavenly Father desire to spend time with us, communicate with us, and have an intimate relationship with us? Then we should spend time with our kids, communicate with them, and have a relationship with them. And listen, by how well we succeed or we fail at those things is going to be what they think God's like. Men and fathers, God designed the family for us to be the ones leading the home. And in order for the family to function the way God designed it to, everyone's got to play their role. This morning, we've been mostly looking at the role of fathers and, and children. God, God gave children responsibilities to the parent, to their parents, and God gave fathers responsibilities to their children. And part of the father's responsibilities to their children is to make sure the children are fulfilling their responsibilities to the parents. So children are to obey and honor their parents in the Lord. Fathers are to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And when a father is raising his kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the way this thing works out is he's going to raise kids that obey and honor his par the parents. But God is looking for fathers that are willing to grab the bull by the horns and lead their families and fulfill their responsibilities to their families. God's looking for fathers he can trust to be, to be what he's called them to be and do what he's called them to do. God's looking for fathers that he trusts like he trusted Abraham. Have you ever seen what God says about Abraham in Genesis 18 and verse 19? This is what God says about Abraham. you got to love it. It's, he says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Fathers, could God say that about any of us this morning? Could God say, I know him, he's going to lead his household and his family, and he's going to command and require that they keep the way of the Lord, and he's a living example of what that looks like. Could God say that about any of us? And are there any fathers willing to join Joshua in Joshua 24 and verse 15 and say the last line, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, we all know that verse, and it just kind of goes in and out. We probably have it in our home somewhere, but have you ever noticed what's actually happening here? Joshua, the leader of his household, the man of the house, steps up and says, this is how it's going to be, and this is how it's going to go down in my house with my family. We're going to serve the Lord. I know there are all kinds of distractions out there. I know there are all kinds of temptations that are out there. I know others around us think that we're wrong or think we're crazy. I don't care about any of that stuff. As long as I'm alive and I'm the leader of this house, there's nothing that's going to stop us. We're going to serve the Lord. 
My prayer this morning is that God can look down into Cali Harbin Baptist Church and he can see a group of men that are willing to say that alongside of Joshua. And that he'll see a group of men that he can look at and say, I know him, and I know him, and I know him, and I know him, and I know he's going to lead his household to keep and follow the commandments of the Lord. If you can't say that alongside Joshua and God can't say that about you, I'm challenging you to turn the corner on that today. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for being our heavenly father. What an incredible thought. What an incredible reality. I thank you for the chastisement that has happened in my life to direct me and to hopefully keep me on the straight and narrow path, God. You do that with all of those that you love. I pray we would understand that reality. I pray we would understand the heart behind it. And God, we're just so blessed to have you as a heavenly father. I thank you for the earthly fathers in this room that are continuing to strive to grow in you. We may not all have it all together, but we're a work in progress, God, and we're trying to continually become more and more in your image, God, so that we can fulfill the role that you've given to us, to our children, for your glory's sake. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. I tell you, I want you to look.